0: Reading from Isaiah. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exalt in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, And as a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication, and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord, and a royal them in the hand of your God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
1: A reading from Galatians. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law, under faith until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, saying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir. Through God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people.
2: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you. or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. Merry, Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yes, it is still Christmas. Rather extraordinary, and it highlights, of course, that we are a little bit strange gathered here. On the Sunday after Christmas, half of Mill Valley, it seems, has emptied out. People are away on vacation. If we look around very carefully, we may see a few Christmas trees out by the curb. It is still Christmas. We are a strange bunch. A lot of ink is being spilled these days about the decline of the church in the West, about how fewer people are coming, we have, if we don't think about it for very long, a sort of romantic notion of the church at its height being at the center of society and culture and perhaps even history itself. But if we dig very deep into that, what we discover is that, in fact, that understanding of the church, commonly known as Christendom, is actually not the norm, but the exception in the tradition. The exception in the post-war boom when we were building churches like all get out and everybody was coming to the Episcopal Church or the Presbyterian Church or the Methodist Church, the so-called mainline denominations. Catholicism, too, is on the rise, and it seemed on the ascent, and we forgot very quickly that, in fact, that period in American history was the exception, not the norm, and there's a way in which we have returned now to the norm, and we embody that this morning. A few of us gathered to remember that it still is Christmas, and I, if you're strange, I'm stranger. I just have to say that out loud. ...because this is one of my favorite Sundays of the church here, not because only a few people come, although it's wonderful to have you here, but because we have this beautiful prologue from John's Gospel read, in which John, who we believe was part of a very marginal, small Jewish Christian community at the end of the first century, living at the very edge, not knowing whether the faith would last for the next generation, makes the most bold and audacious move imaginable. First of all, John is doing something that his Jewish contemporaries, as well as other Christian writers of the first century were doing, which is audacious enough, and that is bringing into conversation two radically different cultures and ways of viewing the world. It's embodied in the way John uses Greek. And the culture and the language of the Greeks which had been spread by Alexander the Great a few centuries earlier throughout the Mediterranean world and and now dominated sort of the common parlance. It was the lingua franca, the common language that bound together all of these different cultures, had planted seeds even within Judaism itself. Judaism and ancient Hebrew was radically different from Greek society. Greek language had all of these abstract terms, whereas Hebrew language was distinctly concrete and profoundly rooted in its Bedouin past, a sense of living off the land and abiding off the land. John brings these two cultures, not just into collision, but into a deep deep synergy with the prologue of John's gospel. He lifts up this word, this Greek word logos, which means more than word. It means first principle. It means almost, in John's sense, sort of the grand unified theory of all things and connects it with Christ, which is Greek for Messiah. And then, a few short verses later, John talks about the logos in the flesh, as it were, using concrete and tangible language that would have been much more accessible to his Jewish Christian audience. So much so, we lose some of it in translation. The word became flesh and lived among us, might better be translated as the Logos became flesh and pitched his tent with us. It's a very tangible, very vivid depiction. God taking on flesh. Nothing abstract about it. And camping with us a nomadic people, strangers, if you like, to the wider world. This is the language of the first Sunday after Christmas. One of my side jobs in the church is keeping track of calendars. I do it for the Brotherhood, and I do a little bit of work for church publishing around it as well, and I'm a bit of a calendar nerd. It got me in terrible trouble this past summer at General Convention, So pulling legislation out of the fire regarding the church calendar. While everyone is on vacation this time of year, something profound happens in our church calendar. Few of us notice it. But if you look at what happens immediately after Christmas Day, you start to get a sense of what John is talking about by a light shining in the darkness. It begins with the day after Christmas. No, in the church calendar, it's not called Boxing Day. It is actually St. Stephen's Day. You remember good King Wenceslas looked down on the feast of Stephen. That's right. Stephen, the proto-martyr, the first martyr, also remembered as the first deacon of the church, Stephen declares what Christ crucified means to the religious authorities in the book of Acts, and is stoned to death for blasphemy. While Saul, who later is the author of the letter to the Galatians today, as Paul, looks on and approves. So immediately, the day after Christmas, the birth of the Messiah is caught up in the collision between Christians who are a strange lot and the powers of the world. It goes on the following day to remember St. John the Apostle and the Evangelist, December the 27th, if you're keeping track, the feast day of the Apostle John, the evangelist who wrote the gospel we heard from today, and John of Patmos. Now, are we talking about one person or three? The tradition is unclear. John the Apostle, of course, is the one who bears witness, along with the other apostles, to Jesus' life and teachings. John the Evangelist puts to paper what we heard today and john of patmos is exiled under a roman persecution of christians later in the 1st century and while on patmos has an incredible vision which is recorded as the book of revelation strangers light Shining in the darkness, 28th, December 28th, keeping track, taking notes, good, is the Holy Innocence, remembering Herod's great fear when he hears rumor of a king born in Bethlehem, and so he sends his soldiers to kill all the firstborn children in Bethlehem. But Holy Innocence is also the time we remember all of the children around the world at all times who are vulnerable. A feast day this year, of course, to remember the two Guatemalan children who have died at the border, to remember all the children of Yemen who are hungry this day and war-weary. Remember the children, even in our own country, who are neglected. The holy innocents, light shining in the darkness. And then, just to cap it off, in the Anglican tradition, on the 29th, we remember Thomas Becket. Remember the story of Thomas Becket, who became Archbishop of Canterbury. Very shortly after he was ordained a priest, he became a bishop, then Archbishop of Canterbury. He was a great friend and very loyal to Henry II, who, a little bit like one of his great-great-great-great-grandchildren, Henry VIII, was a bit of a tyrant. But when he became Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Beckett decided to stand up for the rights of the church over and against the crown. And annoyed Henry II no end until, in a moment where he might have tweeted this, had there been Twitter, he said, Will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? And a clutch of barons at court heard this as an order, and they went and they executed Thomas in his own cathedral. Strangers, light shining. In the darkness. Do you see what I'm getting at? The birth of Christ and the practice of Christianity has always been and always will remain a marginal thing. Something at the edge of culture and society. Something that is radical and different and challenging to the powers of this world. And for that reason, has the potential for transformation. John writes for a marginal Christian community at the end of the first century that this word made flesh is the light and the life of the world given not just for Christians but for all people, for all people. There's a radical notion that our gathering here together this day in a number that we can easily count, it may not even be noticed by the wider culture of Mill Valley, and yet we are gathered here for all of them. We believe in a light that is given for everyone. Christ, the Logos, the Word, is that light, even if he is not named by our countless sisters and brothers. Wherever there is goodness, wherever there is compassion, wherever there is peace, Wherever there is a thirst for justice, wherever there is light shining in the darkness, we claim this day, in our radical Christmas faith, we claim that that is where Christ is. Active. Pitching his tent. Coming to camp with us. In our earthly pilgrimage. Not tied to the land in the same way as our world thinks. But sojourners in this transient life. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it.